Uh, Please pray with me. Father, we come to you now as permanently adopted sons and daughters with the Spirit of Christ in our hearts crying, Abba, Father. There is so much brokenness, violence, and suffering in the world, but we remember this is your world. You so love the world that you gave your only son. He is the long-awaited king, the promised one. He will come again and make all things new and right. We praise you and thank you for your steadfast love and faithfulness. All your promises find their yes in Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, because all these things are absolutely true, we bring requests to the Father now in your name. We pray for our brothers and sisters in war-torn Ukraine. Give them your peace, protect them, provide for their physical needs. We pray the same for those in refugee settlements. We're thankful for the Ukrainian families who are here with us at Covenant. We pray for the Kharkov family in our community here in Birmingham, for Sergei, Anya, and their son, Sasha, for Anya as she has advanced brain cancer, for Sergei as he continues to seek uh, a good job so he can provide for his family while still caring for his wife, and for their young son, Sasha, in his new school that he will enter soon. and. Pray that you would help him uh, make friends, um, that he would succeed uh, in his studies. Father, we pray for members of our covenant family and some of their family members battling medical illness. Pray for Bill and Cindy Hay, for Bill's debilitating condition and frequent complications. Um, We pray that you give them peace and comfort Um, and bring some stability to his physical condition. Pray for Mike and Sandy Witten as Mike undergoes treatment for cancer, that you would uh, guide those who care for him uh, from a medical perspective, give them wisdom and devotion to his best interest. We pray for Richard and Barbara Thompson's granddaughter as she starts another round of chemo this week. We also pray that you will comfort Richard and Barbara as they grieve the death of Richard's brother. We thank you for Louise Slingloff's recovery. We are so glad to have her back at church and to see her encourage our local missions partners uh, last week. We pray for our Lessons and Carols Christmas concert tonight, that it will be a great celebration of you giving us your, your son and making us your own. We pray for our Love Lady event this Tuesday, for a great celebration with the love ladies and their children. And we thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you hear? Did you hear what uh, Marty Crawford said? Children? There are lots of donut holes. 
for after the service, but you have to wait. They're very, very close to you. You're so close to them right now, but you have to wait. Uh, This is what the season of Advent is all about. It's about waiting. Uh, We're studying the book of Numbers right now. And in the book of Numbers, God's people have been traveling for a while. They've been, as a matter of fact, wandering the wilderness for 40 years. But now Yahweh, their faithful God, has led them right up to the border of the promised land. They're right there on the border, but they have to wait for him to guide them in. They're going to cross the Jordan River and go in and attack a city across the border called Jericho, a military garrison soon, but they have to wait. Here's what Advent is all about, learning to wait in hope by faith. For even as our elder Sai Huffman just prayed, God has made many, many promises and fulfilled them in sending his own son. His own son has come for our salvation and inaugurated the kingdom. The kingdom is now growing and spreading into all things. But when he comes back, he will bring it to perfection, to consummation. Jesus has already come in his first advent. And yet nothing is perfected for that perfection, for that perfection of God's plan to come to bear for you and me here on God's good creation when the new heavens and new earth are here in fullness for that we have to wait so every year the church calendar begins again at advent I know it's not January 1st but this is the beginning the second week of the beginning of the church's calendar advent is the way we begin every year remembering that we're a people who are called to wait by faith. And so today we're going to see that this is what Israel was doing in this part of the story, and then we'll learn to wait along with them. Uh, Today we're going to see an invisible attempt to curse, an invincible commitment to bless, and then something really significant about the God who intends to bless his people. Will you read along with me? It's on page 13 uh, in your worship guide. Just for you to know that the beginning of our passage is the end of verse of chapter 24. It tells us that Balak, this king who wants to curse God's people, the king of Moab, he's hired Balaam. You heard about that last week in Numbers 22 in Josh's fun sermon. And now at the end of that passage, we're told that Balak took Balaam up to Bamoth Baal. He took him up to the, to the high places of Baal so he could see God's people and curse them. That was his plan. So we'll pick up here in chapter 23, verse 1. And there in that high place of Baal, and Balaam said to Balak, Build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did as Balaam had said, and Balak and Balaam offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And Balaam said to Balak, stand beside your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps Yahweh will come to meet me and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. And he went to a bare height and God met Balaam. And Balaam said to him, I've arranged the seven altars and I've offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And Yahweh put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and thus you shall speak. 
And he returned to him, and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside his burnt offering. And Balaam took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? And how can I denounce whom Yahweh has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him. Behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. And Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and behold, you've done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, must I not take care to speak what Yahweh puts in my mouth? All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, I'm asking you in Jesus name that through the power of the spirit, you would help me take care to speak the words you've put in the scriptures that they might come out of my mouth faithful to you and fruitful for your people. Teach us your ways, O Lord, that we might learn to wait in hope by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this first point today, uh, we have an invisible attempt to curse, uh, to curse God's people. This really is a review of last week really quickly that bleeds in the beginning of our passage as josh told us last week from numbers 22 there is a king named balak the king of moab and what has he witnessed he has witnessed that other kings sihon and og have been defeated by the people of israel one of those kings sihon had already defeated him so he's now shaking in his boots and balak as wicked as he is is a wise king for a bad guy and he understands he can't defeat God's people militarily so he says well what we'll do is we'll poke the heavens we'll appeal to the gods and since we can't beat them in our human strength we'll get the god's strength on our side and so he goes out as Josh explained last week and he hires a sorcerer a seer a false prophet the kind of person that somehow through some technology and through the wild providence of God has learned to pay attention to what the gods say to people. Now, uh, this was risky business for a guy like Balaam. Uh, he, under the province of God, he'd been lucky so far, and he'd built up a really big reputation for speaking on behalf of the gods. And in the providence of God, uh, Balak goes and hires Balaam. He brings him in. And as Josh showed us last week from the text, even though Balaam is this great seer of spiritual realities, uh, he sees less than his donkey. And even though he's the great speaker of divine truths, uh, he has less profound theology than his donkey. And so it's a wonderful story. And if you uh, haven't read Numbers 22, weren't here last week, I encourage you to do those things. But here, what you have is there were, there were three times that the angel of Lord in the pre previous passage was going to slay Balaam, but his donkey saved him. And then what we have in the passage going forward is three oracles of Balaam. We're going to look at two of those three oracles today. And so here's the first one that we, that we just read. King Balak has taken Balaam to the high places of Baal where false gods are worshiped with false sacrifices. 
and Balaam has gone up there with him. But Balaam, as you remember from last week, has already met Yahweh. And Yahweh has made it very clear that Balaam is to only say what Yahweh say, says and say nothing else. And so now uh, Balaam has met and wonderfully, God met Balaam on this high place. There's no place in all of God's creation, no matter how evil it is, no matter how much has been set apart from, by wicked and evil people, there's no place that God cannot show up. He can show up anywhere and speak to anyone. And God chooses to show up and speak to Balaam on a high place dedicated for the worship of Baal. And he shows up and he tells me exactly what to say. And so today, uh, just notice with me that there's an, an invisible attempt to curse God's people. Last, last week's passage in the beginning of ours, uh, verses 1 through verse 7, it becomes very clear when he begins saying the oracle, it's just a reminder of what we heard last week from Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of, Mount, of Moab, he brought me from the eastern mountains, and what's his goal? Curse, come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. The, the word for denounce here, Hebrew word, uh, it basically means speak really hot, angry words because uh, there was a belief if you said curses and then you threw on some really hot language, that probably made those curses stronger and more powerful. And so this is what Balak's plan is to hire Balaam and to have Balaam, one who can somehow have connection with the gods, bring the hot Curses of the gods on God and on the true God's people. And so it's an invisible attempt to curse. Now, this is a really ancient text and a really ancient story. But, you know, you and I live in a world that's really not that different. Even though God's own son has entered the world, uh, this sounds a whole lot like Ephesians 6, 12, doesn't it? The Apostle Paul uh, could have been thinking about this story when he says, hey, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. No, no, no. But we wrestle against uh, dark powers in heavenly places that set themselves against God and his people. Uh, this is a, a great story of an invisible attack to curse. Why am I calling it an invisible attack? Uh, have you noticed what the story's been telling us about how Moses feels about these activities and how the Israelites, what they're doing down below? They have no idea what's happening up on the top of the mountains. Moses and others must have heard this story much later. Uh, they're down in the valley. Uh, they're down in the plains of Moab. They're very close to entering into the promised land. And they've had all of their own grumbling and complaining, but they're utterly clueless about an invisible attack intended to curse from above. And that might be an important reminder for God's people today. Uh, our enemies are not flesh and blood. Sometimes when we think about uh, people maybe at the work, at the office, maybe in the home, uh, maybe at the church, maybe in the neighborhood, sometimes we think our enemies are the people that oppose us to our faces, the people who argue with us, the people who take a different point of view. Uh, there is an enemy that wants you to think your spouse is enemy number one in your life. He or she is not. The real enemy behind the enemy is one who is invisible, who is greatly at work to destroy God's people, to bring curses on God's people. But here, Israel's completely ignorant about it, so I'm going to move on to our second point, and it's this. There's an invincible commitment to bless. Listen to this profound reversal. 
Balak hires Balaam, come curse these people. And here's what Balaam, who now has words put in his mouth by Yahweh himself says in verse eight, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom Yahweh has not denounced? Here's what Balaam is saying to Balak and all the princes of Moab. I'm not one of the gods. Occasionally I get to speak for them. Uh, you, know, you know what they would have done in the ancient world? They would have slaughtered these animals and, and sorcerers and, and seers like Balaam. They would have uh, gotten out their entrails. That's really fun. That, that'll make you think about donut holes. Um, they'd have gotten out their livers and said, huh, let's look at those livers. Huh, I think the gods are happy. Let's do more dancing. And they would have just kind of looked at the livers and then maybe they would have uh, uh, looked at some more livers and said, I don't know. I think the gods are mad. We probably should only dance to our left. I mean, that's basically what they were doing. Uh, they were sorcerers. They were looking at parts of God's creation and acting like they knew what was going on in the world. But in this case, the one true God met with Balaam. And Balaam here is saying, I don't have the power of God. I can only tell you what he's told me. And so what he says is, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce the one whom Yahweh has not denounced. Now, Balak isn't happy about this, but listen to what Balaam goes on to say. I know it's confusing. Balak's the bad king. Balaam's the prophet. And at some point in the sermon, I'm going to say it wrong, okay? Let's just get that straight. And it's your job to pay close enough attention that you know the difference. And then you get a donut hole. Okay. Look at this invincible commitment to bless. It's amazing. From the tops of the crags, I see him. I see the one you want me to curse, that people. From the hills, I behold him. Oh, yeah, here I am. Behold, a people dwelling alone, not counting themselves amongst the nations. There they are, isolated, unique, special people. And listen to verse 10, amazing language. Who can count the dust of Jacob? Now, let me tell you, Balaam could not have pulled that phrase out of looking at a liver of a goat. No way. No way. You see... One time God spoke to Abram before he changed his name to Abraham and said, I'm going to make your descendants like the dust of the earth. And then two, a generation later to his grandson, Jacob, at one point, Jacob had just blown it in the biggest way possible. And Jacob was running for his life and he put his head on a rock for a pillow and God appeared to Jacob in the middle of the night. And you know what he said to him? Jacob. How many of you saw my painting earlier? At some point, God says to his people, I'll make your descendants like the stars of the sky and the sand and the seashore. But in Genesis 28, 14, God says to Jacob, oh, it's on the front of your worship guide. Look at it with me. Flip it over. Here's what Yahweh says to Jacob. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. How about that? Yahweh said to Jacob, Abraham's, Abraham's grandson, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Now flip back to your passage today. Balaam goes up to look at the livers of animals on the high places of Baal, but God meets him. And God draws near to Balaam and has said, you will not say anything I don't say. I will give you words to say. You will say what I say or else. And this is what he says. 
Who can count the dust of Jacob? Is that not remarkable? There is this invisible attempt to curse, but God has reversed it and put into the pagan sorcerer's mouth the reminder of his own covenant blessings. Oh yeah, there's an invisible attempt to curse, but God is ineluctably, completely committed to blessing his people. And even when Balaam says words of blessing that Balak understands, oh, he's not cursing them, he's blessing them, his own people have ears to hear, oh, it's not just that he's blessing us, he's picking up, this pagan prophet is picking up ancient prophecies and applying them to us, reminding us that, that when we go in and inherit this land, God is just keeping his word that he spoke to our forefathers many generations ago. What a God we serve. Do you know that God knows how to pick up his promises, his word, and apply it to your heart and your mind when you need it? And that's what is happening here. Yahweh put an ancient promise in Balaam's mouth. And so that leads to verse 11. And Balak said to Balaam, what have you done? I took you to curse my enemies. But look, you've done nothing but bless them. Why did he bless them? Look at verse 12. He answered, Balaam answered Balak, must I not take care to speak what Yahweh puts in my mouth? There's an invincible commitment to bless, and it comes from the creator of the whole world. The God who enters into gracious covenant with his people and makes promises to us for us and our children. Now, if you will, flip over with me, and we'll see a third point. point. Uh, who is it that has this invisible commitment to bless? We've seen an invisible attempt to curse, an invincible commitment to bless. Now I want you to see with me the immortal immutable god on our side look with me i'll pick up and read verse 13 this is the context for and then the second oracle and balak said to him to balaam please come with me to another place from which you may see them you shall only see a fraction of them and shall not see them all then curse them from me from there okay the high places of baal didn't work let's go to another spot Okay, and, and maybe you'll see a smaller portion and you won't get intimidated. And this time, will you just do what I'm paying you to do? You remember, I've got a big, you got a big payday coming. Just talk to the right God and curse the people. Come on. And it's, it's like the last story, verse 14. He took him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. That's a lot of livers to look at for a, for a sorcerer, for a seer. Surely he can see what the gods want. Verse 15, Balaam said to Balak, stand here beside the burnt offering while I meet Yahweh over there. And Yahweh met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, return to Balak and thus shall you speak. And he came to him and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, what has Yahweh spoken? And Balaam took up his discourse and said, now here's the second oracle. Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. 
He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. Yahweh their God is with them and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. By the way, that Hebrew word for wild ox, when the King James Version translated this, we didn't know what that word meant, and they chose unicorn. Okay, moving on. Verse 23, for there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what God has done. People will look at Jacob and Israel. People look at God's covenant people and they will say what God has done. No one else could have done it. Behold a people as a lioness it rises up and as a lion it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it's devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. And Balak said to Balaam, do not curse them at all and do not bless them at all. And in other words, Balak looks at Balaam and says, please stop talking. But Balaam answered Balak, did I not tell you all that Yahweh says I must do? Amazing. So I want you to see with me real quickly the immortal, immutable God on our side. Did you see it? First of all, look at the immutability of God, his immortality as well. God is not a man. He's no mortal. We all know what humans are like. They overpromise and underdeliver. Sometimes they'll say they do X and they do Y and Z instead. God is not a man that he should lie. There's no deception in him or a son of man that he should change his mind. We know that kings and rulers and pastors and bankers and doctors and dads and moms and people make promises and then change their minds. We shouldn't, but we do. Make plans and change our minds. God is not like us. Immortal. He's not a human being. Immutable. He doesn't change his mind or his ways. His promises are steadfast and true because that's who he is. He's the immortal, immutable God on our side. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? These are the words of a pagan prophet. Hired to curse God's people. But he's been in the presence of God, and now he'll only say, because he's afraid he'll die, he'll only say what's true about God. And the the words of a pagan sorcerer are now saying the truth about God on these high places. Isn't that an interesting contrast? Uh, God's people are living uh, in the wilderness, and their circumstances are hard and difficult. They don't have the food that they want. They don't always have the water that they need. They're having struggles. And so what do they say? God is against us. Why did God bring us out here to die? Did God bring us out here so our children would die in the wilderness? Because they're like us. They look at their circumstances and say, hey, there's no way this can work out. There's there's no, God's promises are too big and, and too wonderful. And, and we're in the wilderness and there's it's just yucky manna and there's no water and there's enemies on the left and the right. There's no way God's plan can work out. We need to revolt and go back to Egypt because this will never work. But the pagan sorcerer hired to curse God's people gets in God's presence and he says, no, 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 he isn't like a man that he should lie. He doesn't change 
his mind. If he has a plan and has made promises, that plan will come to fruition. Those promises will be kept. What a contrast. God's own people in the midst of difficult circumstances say it can't be good. It can't work out. But Balaam hired to curse them. It's reversed. And he says, no, no, no. I think it's good. Thank you, Caleb. It was Caleb and Joshua that were allowed to go into the land. There were two good ones. It's true. It's been a hard day. And I got here before seven. There was no power. And I'm supposed to be wearing a microphone over me right now. And clearly I forgot that. So uh, blessings and curses. Okay. All right. Immortal, immutable God. But did you see verse 20, 21, and 22? Let's slow down and, and shove our nose in it for a second. What did Balaam say? Behold, I received a command to bless. That's all that Yahweh will let me do. I know you're willing to pay me, Balak, but Yahweh has commanded that what I say is what's true. A blessing. And and why should I bless? He has blessed and I can't revoke it. It doesn't matter what I say, Balak. He, the God of the, of the nations, the God that's rescued them, he, he has blessed and I can do nothing about it. He's not beheld with, beheld. He's not foreseen misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. And then listen to these. These, these words, these phrases, with them, among them, for them. Yahweh their God is with them. And the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. It's like it's present tense. Right now, I see Yahweh pulling his people out of Egypt, rescuing them, redeeming, saving them. And he is for them like the horns, not of a unicorn, but a wild ox. You hear those phrases? With them, among them, for them. Who is God? He's with his people among his people, and for his people, who can stay his hand or keep him from blessing his people? God is with us and among us and for us. You hear it was a shout of a king is among them. Unbelievable that that Balaam saw that, right? Because he met with Yahweh and Yahweh told him what to say and he said the words. What a great reminder what it meant to have the tabernacle in the midst of God's people. Don't forget it. The tabernacle is the throne room of Yahweh in the middle of the people. The shout of the king in their their midst is Yahweh himself. He is their king. He is with them. He is a king. He's among them. And he is for them like the horns of a wild ox. That's that's an unbelievable ancient world picture of strength. And power, he's with them and among them and for them. And since that's the case, there's no, the enchanter says there's no enchantment against them. The diviner says there's no divination against Israel. No one can do it. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, when you see God's plan unfold, here's what you'll say, what God has done. (laughs) When you see God's plan fully unfold and and fully unveiled, (laughs) that's what you'll say. You'll say what God has done. It's so important that, that you and I see this today. What's happening is a seer, a prophet, has been hired by one of God's enemies to curse God's people, but God has reversed the curse and turned it into a blessing in the lips of a pagan prophet. 
And don't you see, as that story unfolds, it's not just going from curse to blessing on the lips of a prophet, but the curses are reversed into a blessing for God's people because when God fulfills his promises and his plan, he sends his son to be the one who was with us and among us and for us. And the curses that Israel deserved and that we deserved, those curses fell on God's own son, the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross so that all of God's promises of blessing would be ours forever. It went from curse to blessings on the lips of a prophet, but it went from curses to blessings on the body of the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for our sin so that there's no guilt for us, so so that all of God's promises are ours in Christ Jesus. Jesus has already come and done the most important work so you and I will know we will go in to the land that God has promised. We will inherit the new heavens and the new earth, but we have to wait. And as we see God's plan unfold, we say, oh, what God has done. When we see the new heavens, new earth, and all its fullness, we'll say, what God has done, it's a gift. We'll say, this past weekend, I wasn't with you because I went and uh, participated in the funeral of a really good friend named Dan Earl. Dan was an elder. He was an officer for nine years of my 17 and a half years at my former church in Chattanooga and a really good, really, really good friend. At one point, uh, Dan, when age four, he contracted polio. And because he contracted polio at age four, though he got over, that got cured. Uh, It gave him a terrible limp, uh, a pretty pronounced limp for the rest of his life. Uh, He grew up in a family that didn't know the Lord Jesus, but he, he went to college. And because he had that limp his whole life, he wanted to study physical therapy. And as he was at college, he also met the Lord Jesus Christ. So his whole life, the study of physical therapy and his salvation in Christ, his love for Jesus were just tied together. So Dan uh, went into physical therapy with all of his heart to serve the Lord Jesus and to, to do it with excellence. Um, he was involved in all kinds of uh, significant work in physical therapy. He actually started the Christian Physical Therapist International. I think that's what it is. It's now part of a, a larger thing. Um, but he had a real keen sense of uh, helping people with all kinds of disabilities. And because of that, uh, that commitment to Jesus and excess of physical therapy, uh, he ended up traveling around the world. And he was very involved in uh, getting people fit for wheelchairs because in lots of cultures, people with disabilities are treated very badly. And Dan had a deep, deep commitment that everyone is made in the image of God and deserves to be treated with great dignity. So he traveled around the whole world, uh, working with people in Asia, in Europe, all or South America, all around the globe, all kinds of trips. And at one point, uh, Dan was in, in Europe and he was giving a talk about everyone being made in God's image and how important it is and, uh, to, to treat people with great dignity. And he was training people, uh, uh, can, um, to care for people with disabilities, uh, with great care. And he was doing it. It was a, it was a Christian conference and there was a woman there uh, named Maria from Romania. And, uh, she was really moved by Dan's talk. Uh, Maria, uh, she had scoliosis. So she, she was bent forward. She had kyphosis. So she was bent to the side 
And she had hip dysplasia, so it looked like one leg was uh, longer and one leg was shorter than the other. And so she walked up to Dan, bent over, bent to the side, moved up to Dan. And when she came up to him to thank him for his talk and to tell him how encouraged she was, she was bent over, so she had to kind of look up through her eye like this at Dan. And she just told him, you know, your talk was so encouraging. Thank you for affirming that I made in God's image. Thank you for training uh people to, to, to do good work with people with disabilities, but also thank you for reminding us that we have good work and contributions to make as well. And Dan was really encouraged by Maria's encouragement. And then she says something, Dan, she said, I'm going to begin praying that Jesus will send you to change my country. And here's why she told Dan uh, that growing up, people would see her and they would cross the road to avoid her because they felt shame just being in her presence. But those were their mild responses. Uh, other people would see her and spit on her. Other people would see her and call her names. They called her a dog. They just had a horrible view of who she was and what her dignity was. And so she was telling Dan all about it. And she said, thank you for this. Now I am praying that Jesus will send you to Romania and he'll, uh, to change my country. And Dan understood then that she way overestimated his abilities and influence. And so then after that, uh, Dan got a really bad liver disease and nearly died. And when I first met Dan and his wife, Jenny, he was in this stage of life where he was very, very sick. We would later refer to the stage as him being Dan the Gray. But we gathered the elders and we laid hands on him and anointed him with oral oil, the way James 5 says, and asked Jesus to heal him. And then Jesus actually made him much, much better for a long time. So Dan began to travel the globe again and give these talks again. And he felt so much better. He got into a brand new program at the University of Tennessee in Chattanooga. It was their DPT, their doctor of physical therapy program. It was brand new. And Dan got in that first group. He was so excited to study more and he thought it would help him uh, teach more and more and more. And around that time, as that program began, uh, Romania decided they wanted to get into the EU, into the European Union. But there are a few reasons they weren't allowed in. And, and one of the main reasons was their standard of care for people with disability was too low. So while Dan was enrolled in the DPT program, Doctor of Physical Therapy program at UTC, Romania contracted with the doctoral physical therapy program at UTC, asking them to come over to Romania and help them raise the standards of disability care in their country. And Jesus sent Dan in answer to Maria's prayer. It was years later. She prayed and waited in hope. And when Doc Dan got to go and see a whole country change, that group said, look what God has done. Let's pray and meet the king at his table. Oh Lord Jesus, we're not good at waiting. So would you teach us to wait in hope, even as we put foretastes of your promise of your grace upon our lips. As we receive the bread and the cup, remind us what you have done for us and that you will return to usher us into a great feast. Amen.